I'm excited to announce our upcoming 2023 Banking with Life client-only event. It's going to happen in mid-October of 2023. It's going to happen downtown Fort Worth, Texas. Our whole team will be there. The team has been working very hard to make this an event that's not to be missed. I'll be there, have an opportunity to meet me, have an opportunity to meet the team. I'm going to be speaking. We'll have other guest speakers, and you'll have the opportunity to meet a room full of like-minded people. Think about that. A room full of people that are practicing becoming their own banker. They are practicing the infinite banking concept. You'll have the opportunity to meet with them and share with them. You got to be somewhere. You might as well be there. In this episode, I sat down with my friend, Felipe Engineer, who happens to be an engineer. We had a lovely conversation that included things like correct foundations within the infinite banking concept. We discussed family dynamics covering more than one generation. We talked about entrepreneurship. We even discussed the power of the infinite banking concept when things go wrong. We had fun, and I hope you enjoy listening. Welcome to the Bank of Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And, you know, I'm always excited to uh, have guests on, and today is no different. I'm very excited that Felipe Engineer is with us. Felipe has been a client and a friend for several years now. Um, he actually is an engineer. It matches his last name. I don't know uh, the connection there, but that's pretty cool. Um, he's a resident out in California, and he is the host of the EBFC show, and which he's in season four of that. And there you go. He uh, has uh, taken the time to share with us his experience with the infinite banking concept and business endeavors and everything else. He's anything else that he's willing to share. So good morning, Felipe. Um, Good morning, James. Thank you for having me on the show. Super happy to be here. I'm excited to share with all the listeners all the cool things that I've been doing with IBC. And uh, I can't wait to get into this episode with you. Perfect. I've been, excuse me, I've been uh, looking forward to this, you know, and actually this is a reshoot. We, we, we uh, recorded a few days ago, but we had technical issues on, on our end. Um, So it's almost like a redo and it is actually a redo, but we had a great conversation then. I expect that we'll have another great conversation um, today. And I would like to know, you know, my idea of, you know, creating a podcast where in some episodes you have guests come on and share their experience and, you know, their thought process, even in the beginning, whenever they first became exposed to the infinite banking concept. And then, you know, the thought process that they went through to get to the point where they decided to implement it. And then, you know, what, what they do with it and what they've done with it since they became exposed to the infinite banking concept. And I think that's very powerful because I always think back, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, um, you're like, I think I've been doing this for about 19 years. And when I was first exposed to this concept, Felipe, there was nothing, you know, there was some radio ads, um, maybe some minor mentions on the internet, you know, YouTube, I wasn't even probably big and I wasn't even on YouTube back then or, interacting with it but it was hard to find somebody that you could share with the the idea of becoming your own banker just didn't exist now today it's much different you can go type in infinite banking and you know five million ads pop up or whatever um so i see this as a great value for people like yourself to come on and share with us and i like i said have been waiting 
to record an episode with you. So just take us back to the very beginning, sir. Give us some background of, of you, why you're an engineer, how you got there, and then all the way up to yeah. how you got exposed to this idea of becoming your own banker. Yeah, so as I was a kid, I was I was one of those kids, those problematic children that was always taking apart appliances in the house. And my grandmother said, this kid is something special because <laughs> I could take apart the stereo system and have it back together before my parents came back home from work as a small child. Like they learned quickly not to leave a screwdriver out <laughs> anywhere around the house because I'd pick it up and get into stuff. And so that uh, sparked a curiosity to figure out how things are come together. And when I got through high school, I thought it's an obvious thing for me is to be an engineer of some kind because it's not too theoretical. Uh, it still requires some good problem solving. And I just love it. And then when I when I met my wife, we were dating. I ended up uh, getting, took her last name, hyphenated uh, my name. And I always tell people the short answer to how I got engineers the last name is it involves my father. So my, my dad was adopted. And uh, as a small child, I told my father I was going to, change my name back to the family name once I got uh, married. That would be like a good time to do it. And then I just got so used to it, I just kept it. And so he was super supportive of that. And uh, we're happy with that. And as I did my research into names, James, it got me onto this whole topic of why I got interested in IBC to begin with. And it turns out that in in Europe, at some, some point in the far, far past, uh, last names were something that was made up by governments or local kingdoms so that uh, the government could make sure or the ruling the ruling party or class to make sure that everyone paid their tax. And so it was done so that, you know, if you had two James in the same village, they got tax money from both James and they wouldn't just stop when they got your money. They'd go to the next James and get their money as well. And a lot of uh, European names when translated into English will literally translate into son of. And uh, there's even the same is true in some of the Arabic names and this is a phenomenon across the planet. So all last names are made up and uh, it was no big deal for me once I did the research to get mine fixed to what I wanted it, which just coincidentally has paid dividends for me having that last name, especially uh, being trained as an electrical engineer and uh, working in construction now for almost 30 years. So on that, uh, on that note of taxes, James, when I figured out what taxes were, and I've been an entrepreneur uh, and worked a full-time job for some time now. And uh, earlier, I was uh, started a business in California. And the California taxes, James, for a brand new business like myself were so high that it evaporated all of my profits in every, every year for three years straight in a row. And it wasn't that we didn't have a good business. It, we didn't, it didn't scale up, but we eventually got put out of business because... The taxes, I would look at what we were doing in sales uh, through the year, and then I would look at the taxes and be like, okay, we're going to have this huge tax bill, and we didn't sell enough. Like We're literally just making money to pay the California government, and I said, this this can't stand. So I started doing research into uh, businesses, and I thought, I'm probably missing something. It's probably something I don't understand. And then I got, uh, after reading some books, Amazon recommended me Nelson's book. And the cover, it's this, it's this black book that's like a workbook style size. So it's not like a regular paperback. And it's less than 100 pages. And the title has a, a big bank vault on the front with a combination. And it says, Becoming Your Own Banker. And I thought, wow, 
Amazon's algorithm's amazing. <laughs> They're onto something. And I, I read a little bit of the, the preview and I, I got the book, read the book, and I was in disbelief the whole time. At the beginning of the book, Nelson lays down the principles that let the whole thing work. And so through narrative, it really hooked me in. But my thinking, James, in the beginning was just totally wrong. I just could not think right about this. And, and you know, James, he gives me a hard time because I'm such a slow learner and slow, slow reader. I think I've read Nelson's book, you know, 15 plus times, probably approaching over 20 times now. And I've been practicing uh, IBC for over five years now. What was <clears throat> what was the uh, the challenge? You know, what was you know reading the book? You know, you're intrigued by the title. You get drawn in, and you know the way Nelson wrote was uh, pretty powerful. He got very simple, very straightforward, um, anecdotal, pedic. Logical, pedagogical, whatever that term <laughs> whatever is, a teaching are. tool, you know, yeah. um, by example, you know, where, where was the struggle? You, you know? know, the first thing I didn't realize, I think some of the things for me in the first readings of the book was coming to the realization that I had abdicated my responsibility for my finances. And for me being so strong willed, that was really hard to swallow that I had willingly or unwillingly given up control of what happens to the cash in my life. And, and that was tough. That was really tough to swallow. And it was undeniable. And, you know, in the, the reading, when Nelson drew the, the picture of the, where he's describing what, what money is like the supply of money in the world is, you know, pretty much like the ocean. And he talks about creating a small Harbor where water can come in and flow through your system before flowing out. That was a, a really eye-opening thing that I never realized. Like I was just having money come in and I was letting other people, you know, do well with my money, like in, you know, 401k or stock market or nobody saves in our generation, James, nobody saves money in the bank because you don't get anything for it. <laughs> I remember before the rates did what they did, I think savings rates were like 0.05%. And then bank fees would still crush all of that money and they wouldn't even send you a 1099 for interest because you didn't make anything after the piece. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that, but now that's, that's starting to change now as the prime rates going up. But that, uh, that was hard. I, I wasn't in, I wasn't being responsible. I was just doing what everybody else was doing. And Nelson said it so beautifully in the book about how, if you just do what everybody else is doing, you'll be like everybody else. And it'll be, you'll have that average experience Whereas now I'm doing something that I never find people in the wild, James, you know, that are doing this and that have this type of attitude because the predominant type of thinking is to just do what everybody else does. And there's some presuppositions on that, like paying taxes are good and people don't, that don't do their history. See what happened in 1913 before the United States, you know, started income tax. And prior to that time, our government was uh, having surpluses, budgetary surpluses, and we were able to, you know, join in the war earlier that time because we weren't broke. Now, if our government had been broken, yes, they raised taxes and did some more stuff afterwards, but before that, it was a totally different country. Yeah. <clears throat> 
the uh, Federal Reserve started in 1913. You know, you can't have a World War, Felipe, without a central bank. I know. It's funny how World War One started within like maybe six months of the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913. Yeah, there's a lot of memes that you know, I've come across in, on the internet, James, because I'm a child of the internet. I built my first computer in 1994, and I've built dozens of computers since. And even though I work in construction, I still do a lot of stuff with technology and tech. And and your your AV ninja, Justin, and I really nerded out on some. <laughs> some codex and some stuff that uh, you probably were shocked at like how much I knew about podcasting. But I think, no. you know, people, people don't realize, and this is, this was something for me too. Like I remember being in school in, at university, taking some liberal arts courses and hearing, you know, this phrasing of fiat currency and not really looking into it. And I didn't look into it until after I started studying like what Nelson put down in his book and, you know, the other thing that I really love about Nelson's book is that he gives you a list of books to read after. He's like, if you want to learn more about, you know, stocks, here's some books that you should study. And he said, you shouldn't get into something that you don't understand. And this is something even Warren Buffett says, and people misunderstand it. Even Warren Buffett says, I won't invest in a business that I don't understand firsthand. But a lot of people will just give Warren Buffett money to let him do the investing and to make the money. But the real money is made when you're as close to the the deal as possible. And so like for me, a recent book we, we talked about the last time, uh, this is a little pamphlet published in 1850 by Frederick Bastiat called The Law. And I told James when I read that, I said, I, I listened to it on Audible. It's on YouTube. You can listen to it for free. I read The Law or listened to The Law probably 30 times in a week because I was flying back and forth. I just couldn't stop listening to it. And the remarkable thing about this economist in, in France during the 1840s, and he was writing this pamphlet, was that he was describing a set of conditions in France that exactly described the set of conditions we have in the United States today. And, and what can happen with the law or, you know, the monopoly of violence thing called government. <laughs> and I think it was just amazing. And he even rightly was critical of the United States saying that with tariffs and slavery, those were two things that could completely undermine our way of life and the promise of democracy if if the U.S. didn't get those things right. And I think history will be the judge of whether we figured that out or not. And you look at what's happening now with the tariffs and the subsidies and, and all the programs and, and James, I've, I've done work in Europe as well through what I've done with Scrum, which is a management framework. And I wrote a little book about it called Construction Scrum. But in my travels to Europe, people are often asked me, like, what would it take to have you come work in Europe? And the first time I got asked that question, I was in Ireland. And I said, well, let me ask you a question because I was already practicing IBC. I said, what's the tax rate on the work that you do here? And people without blinking, James said, 47%. And I said, so... On a five-day work week, at some point on Wednesday, Monday through Wednesday, you've only worked for the government. And then at some point on Wednesday to Friday, you've now worked for yourself. You're working half of your life for the government. And I was even at a conference in Ireland, in Dublin, and uh, it was a conference, it was a construction conference. And the people were talking, James, and they said, we can't solve these problems without the government's help. And I, and I had, I was giving a talk, I was a keynote speaker and I'd already heard this over the course of several days. And I said, 
I went to a project in uh, Kinsale, near Kinsale in Cork, and we solved a problem where we we overcame a schedule issue by ourselves with just the people on the site. We didn't have to ask the owner. We didn't have to ask the government. We didn't need anybody's permission. We just had to change our thinking about some processes. And we were able to improve a schedule by months, saving the ultimately saving the client millions of dollars and getting to market faster with something. And I said, that type of thinking is a process change. I said, you almost will never need government to allow you to implement a series of steps in a different order. And IBC is exactly the same way. And IBC and infinite banking concept, you know, one of the few process changes that you do is you just put your money somewhere first. And the place you put your money first is premium payment for dividend paying whole life insurance. And then after that, you followed your normal processes. That's the only change I've had to make. And then, you know, of course, I have a spreadsheet tracking all of this because it's just so much fun to see the numbers changing, James. But I told people at the conference and people looked at me like I was a heretic. Yep. People and they just weren't ready to take responsibility and experiment with the process themselves. And then when I went to Norway, in Norway, the first thing that people said, because it got the same thing, what would it take to have you come live and work in Norway? People are like, we want we want you here. I was like, I'd love to be there, except not in the winter when it's you know no sun for three months straight. But their taxes are about the same as what the Irish were paying. And I said the same thing. And there, they give you a straw man argument about the amazing healthcare system yeah. and what they have. And I said, okay, now I had an interview with uh, one of the officials from the, the, gov- the local city government in Molda, which is a small city in Norway. And we were talking about a city program that they had done, there were some elderly people that are in the healthcare system, Norwegians, and if they fall or get hurt, they can't get the care that they need in time because there's a wait, because their government-managed healthcare system, though it pays, you cannot get care in even 90 days. And so it depends on the type of injury. Obviously, emergency hospitals, some you know stays are totally different, but if somebody falls and breaks a, a hip or a knee or an arm, they're waiting to get care. And so they created another government program using more taxes to do some triaging of that in response to the root cause is that there's a huge waiting system because they're doing these large batch and queue type of treatment systems because it's government run. And that again, so I, I told the person that has given me the argument about the healthcare system and I said, Tell me a story about somebody you know that had had some issue or need and what did they do? And they gave me two stories about leaving the country to go get healthcare treatment outside of Norway. And I said, I don't think that system's giving you what you want if you have to leave the country to go get care for what the medical system deems, you know, uh, they call it, they even have a phrase for it that's called... Uh, Non, non-elective surgeries or stuff like that. It's the type of phrase. People that you know, know medical terms will know that it means non-elective surgeries, which is one of the things that got shut down during COVID as well, which hurt a lot of healthcare systems because that's where they make most of their money. But it was that type of stuff, James. And then that, that story happened again and again and again. Same thing happened in Germany. And I've heard you know, some of the same things uh, with relatives I have in Mexico and friends in South America. Like People abdicate their responsibility why not have it yourself? Why not be in control? 
and then decide what you want to do yourself. And I think that for me, why I had to read Nelson's book so many times is because I had to mature. I had to grow up a little bit, James. And I, you know, and then that's, and that was part of the reasons why I had to, to go through it so much. Plus, you know, I know that uh, you've had some talks on your show about saying that Nelson regretted putting the illustrations in the book, but as an engineer, I need numbers to anchor on. And those illustrations, I go through those to understand the intricacies of how the policy works and when it becomes a self-sustaining thing. I study those illustrations all the time, James, and I super appreciate those. And I'll tell all your listeners that I have uh, almost two handfuls of policies now in five years, and I've done what Nelson said can't be done in, in less than 20 years. I've made it so that every dollar of income becomes premium dollars first. And then I, I live from there, which is phenomenal. And I'm super happy that I did it in less than five years. But to do something like that, you have to just change. Like for me, I, I figured out change where my money goes first and then live my life, follow that process, the infinite banking concept. And it is, it is a concept and an idea. And I had to become more responsible first. There's a there's an awful lot there, Felipe, going from, you know, European taxes and the efficiency of governments and the uh, the shock of uh, talking with people overseas when you uh, bring up the tax rate, you know, and you, you but you, you total up all the taxes in, like, in the Scandinavian countries and they're and they're pushing 55, 60 percent. Oh, yeah. You know, the 47 uh, percent ish or what have you on the on the income tax but yeah there's nothing that the government can't make more efficient right you know and the, i mean and if you look yeah. at the uh and, and and you know i appreciate you being an engineer um and i appreciate engineers um you know there's no no question it, you know nelson you know he said that uh if he were to rewrite the book becoming your own banker he wouldn't use illustrations um but then in the book, he tells you to study the illustrations carefully, right? Yep. You look at what is going on in the illustrations. <clears throat> um, if you want to talk about passive income in retirement and, and, you know, rate versus volume and, you know, just the characteristics of life insurance. And, you know, I, I believe I'm a visual learner, right? I'm an audio learner and I'm also kinesthetic. Um, and I think that we all, you know, are we learn in our own ways, right? And maybe we're predominant visual or audio or can stick, what have you. But I, I think there's a place for illustrations. There's no question. Um, where I get uh, pretty adamant when it comes to illustrations, you know, that's not where you make a decision of how to pay premium or how much to pay premium or because, you got to have, there should be an understanding of what's going on behind those numbers on the illustration, which is exactly why you're going through them to understand the intricacies, right? So um, I, I appreciate you sharing that with me. So it's about five years. You've been doing this for about five years. So how long did it take you, you know, when you were first exposed, you know, Google's uh, or Amazon, you know, Google algorithms, YouTube algorithms, you know, brings up the suggested reading of the infinite banking concept and you purchased it and you read it. Um, there are some challenges there. You know, how long did it, did it, you know, how did you go from that, the research and then to the decision making process of, oh my gosh, I am going to 
implement this. I mean, because you're an engineer, I mean, uh, you you look deep and long in several different ways before you actually, you know, wrote a check to pay a premium. To use your word from, you know, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, there are a lot of shucksters on YouTube <laughs> that put out uh, bad information on this type of concept. So it's, I was using what Nelson had laid down because I broke it back down to just the process steps. And that's my, my filter to gauge whether the information I'm seeing is good or not good. And there's more not good information out there on this concept. And you've got the, the celebrity, the economic celebrities that just do nothing but talk against this because they don't understand it. And, you know, they just use term. And so I think from the time that I read Nelson's book to getting my first policy was probably, it probably took about three months. And it wasn't because I didn't contact somebody right away. I went to Nelson's website and he listed people that were life insurance agents that had been trained in IBC. And I found somebody local to my area and I contacted that individual and you know, that person had read Nelson's book, had done the training, but but they were like taking a, an alternative path and there were some differences in what how they were applying this. And I thought, okay, this this guy maybe read the book, maybe passed the class, but he's not living it. And then so I but I, I was already too far down the path and I thought, okay, let's just get something built that meets my IBC. And Nelson tells you, and you have YouTube videos as well, James, where you tell people like, here are like five or six things that you know, it needs to be, it needs to be a dividend paying whole life insurance policy. It may need to have based on your goal, some term insurance temporarily so that you can put money into a certain level and not get, not become a modified endowment contract. So there's some, some good practical advice there for building an infinite banking policy, because it's going to be different than the predominant thing on life insurance or in this industry is everybody says dividend paying whole life is garbage. Uh, those same people also say cash is garbage, which and now there's been, you know, the economic gurus on, on YouTube and on TV are saying the opposite. Now the cash cash is king. And <laughs> so it's funny how they just change like, you know, wind blowing leaves in the breeze. Yep. Um, but Nelson was consistent on, on this type of thinking and gives great examples for why. So it took about three months. And then as I and during that time, I came across your YouTube channel and found you know your video content that I was like a serial watcher of this stuff because like you said, there's nobody else you can talk to. I would talk to my family and they'd be like, that sounds illegal. Yeah. And people, <laughs> that's what people would say. Like that sounds illegal. And I'd say, actually, you know, these mutual companies are even older than the United States. You know, some of them go way back and, and even during, I, I love during the great depression that some of them paid dividends in gold just to show people how strong they were. And I got, uh, I get statements from the companies that I have policies in and I look at their, their cash statements and I've got my, I now have my master's of business administration that I, I earned in 2018. So I can actually read cash flow statements and financial reports. And when I read those little, they, they give it to you like in a little tiny pamphlet. I'm just like looking at it like this is a super healthy company. And I also love, you know, in the book, Becoming Your Own Banker, Nelson talks about people that work at banks and insurance companies like gophers. And he said it in so many of his talks. And I remember when I set up my new business, James, and I went to the bank, I had, I was working with the vice president of the bank at this one particular branch. And they were exactly like Nelson described in the book. It was amazing. Yeah. 
<clears throat> he used to say you could change the uh, sign above the door from a bank, an insurance company. They're all the same, you know. Yep. So then yeah. fast forward from that, James, that's, as I got it for myself, I had that problem that so many people have. And that problem is I need more policies. I got to make another branch because I, I would max out practicing being an honest banker. I ran out of places to put cash. And so I needed to open up other branches and I got some additional policies. And at the time I was having some conversations with my parents. I've got some older parents. They were, this was, they were, one was retired at the time and one was about to retire when I got policies on each of them. And I told them, I said, you know, cause they were like, why do I have to get my blood work done? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? You know, the, the medical exam is like 20 minutes, but it was a big deal to mom and dad. And I had to tell them, I said, look, this is what I'm going to do. And then when you graduate, I will take care of all of the things that have, to, I'll tie up all those sons. I'm the oldest son of two. And I said, I want you to just focus on, on life. You're going to give me 20 minutes to go through this exam so that I can buy policies on you and make premium payments. And then when you graduate, I'm going to take care of whatever loose ends you have with your house, whatever loose ends with any of your stuff. And I'll have a, a funeral celebration that, uh, you know, you'll be super proud that we did so we can remember and close this part of our lived experience with you and, and pretty much get you any, whatever you want to make your wishes. And, and they were just like in disbelief. And I just said, and I said, it's not free. Like I'm paying premiums to make this happen. Right. But I, but I said, you know, doing this will allow you to have peace of mind, me to have peace of mind because in my family is the oldest, like it's just tradition that we just handle this. Like when it happens and we've watched, I don't know what it was, James, when me growing up as a kid, we went to a lot of funerals and I remember seeing people just wrecked even as a kid and hearing my parents talking about, you know, people weren't prepared. And as I've been in working, a working professional construction, you know, people die sometimes on construction projects, James, or relatives of people die because people are graduating all the time. It's statistically a hundred percent chance you're going to die at some point. <laughs> and I can't tell you, James, how many times I'm on a project and people are taking up a, a, a collection to help with funeral expenses or GoFundMe because people were not prepared and they don't have anything. And, and I thought to myself, like, oh, I don't want that to happen in like, my family. Like, I should know better. So what can I do to, to make this easy? And so it was just like a super easy thing of solving the problem of being prepared, being more responsible. And then at the same time, James, like there's cash values there that I can use as part of my banking system so that if I need to do my home <coughs> repairs, like we did this year, this year I told my wife, I said, I'm using you know this policy on one of my parents is going to be our budget for home repairs, you know, to a certain level. And so we got the house painted and we did some interior stuff. Like I had ran ethernet to this computer that I'm talking to you on. And I kind of messed up one of the walls in the living room. I mean, it was like, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a drywall or James <laughs> I'm an engineer. <laughs> and so, you know, we had, you know, you don't do the in. work on the construction yeah. side. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yeah. That's like, yeah, people make fun of me. Cause they're like, you're really good with a mouse and the keyboard. <laughs> but so we had the people come in and I took care of all that with, you know, taking loans and paying the loans back from a policy and, and growing that policy. It was phenomenal. Like it was the most stress-free uh, thing. And now, you know, the ceiling looks beautiful again. And I used 
you know, that uh, solving a problem of just not having to worry about what happens when my parents graduate, but now I'm getting the benefit of using that as a budget or a bucket to take care of any type of home stuff. And we had, like I said, we had the house painted, we had some interior stuff done. Amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. And it was just so easy. And I remember James, even my wife was like, how can we afford all this? I was like, well, we have this warehouse of wealth. And I say, just, you know, it's, you put our money to work and I've had to explain to friends because I've talked to about this concept with a few friends and they don't understand that whole, like your money grows compound interest uninterrupted forever until you graduate. And you, when you borrow, you're actually borrowing the life insurance company's money and, you know, at a reasonable rate, which is like typically simple interest five it's 8% now in new policies, but five to 8% give or take. And that's all coming back to you. <laughs> and and people like, if you haven't checked out Nelson's book, like look at the illustrations when a person doesn't use their policy and they just graduate, what happens, you know, when they're 65 versus when they use it heavily, the difference is nine day. It's a three times, four times, it could be a five times increase in how that policy is going to perform. And I'm happy to say like every year I have maxed out everything I could pay and I get within like $10 of modified endowment contract limits so that I'm an honest banker, pay my loans back and I'm, I'm pushing as much as I can into this vehicle and then borrowing money to, to live my life and cover my expenses. There's, there's an awful lot there, you know, and you know, going back to your parents, uh, you know, and I don't want to, you know, say anything or share anything that I shouldn't. But I, I think in our previous conversation, you know, your parents and, and you're the oldest son. So you're, you know, um, going to take care of things. And But you have another sibling and your parents, you know, want to make sure they're fair and equitable to the to the children. No, 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 James. They, they have favorites. So, like anyone, okay. who has more than, <laughs> any, anyone listening who has more than a, one brother or sister, or if you're a parent with multiple children, you have favorites. And uh, <laughs> luckily for me, James, as the oldest, I'm not the favorite. So my my baby brother is the favorite, and I told him I was like, I'm glad you're the favorite because I couldn't handle that much love from mom and dad. <laughs> and so I told my parents, and you know, we talked about this the last time. I said. You know, now I've gotten this feedback from both of them separately. They've both, both my mom and dad have said, you know, since you're, we know you're taking care of everything, you know, when we graduate, you know, we no longer feel stressed about the things we're doing with your brother. And they, they now, my brother lives uh, even north of me. He doesn't live in California. He lives up north and I think he's in Washington, but close to Oregon border. And they've gone, they've done a bunch of trips to go visit him and he used to live in you know, somewhere west of the Rockies before that. And my dad said, he's like, until, you know, you did this for us. He's like, we could not, we couldn't even think that we could afford to go visit him. And now we know our grandchildren, we go visit because they still live back in the Midwest. He's like, we have no stress about just picking up and going. And it's funny, James, just yesterday, yesterday was Sunday. My mom sent me an email and said, FYI, son, just so you know, I'm going to go visit your brother for Thanksgiving. They're going to go spend Thanksgiving with my brother. And before we got on this IBC, when I had these policies on them, James, they weren't traveling anywhere. Their first year retirement, they didn't go anywhere. My dad had a, 
a knee replaced. Um, so he traveled for to have that done. But outside of that, they didn't do anything. They didn't go anywhere. And then afterwards, they've been traveling all around and doing things. And my mom even said, she's like, I kind of feel like, she's like, I kind of feel like the rich grandmother. And I can like spoil the grandkids with stuff. And it's amazing to see like what they do and, and how much joy it brings them. And and like you said before, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take your quote from the last time. You said you can't put that in an illustration where is that in an illustration it's not there like they just have a higher quality of life now and it's like they're not doing anything to make it happen it's what i'm doing by having you know them working through my system it's a phenomenal and i told them i said and for me i said do all that spend all that you want on my brother and all those grandchildren like enjoy and don't worry about me i said when you graduate you're going to give me this massive gift and then I told, I was joking with my mom, like, she doesn't like to make a big deal about stuff. I said, I'm going to hire a band to play at your funeral just to mess with you when you're gone. And she was like, you better not. I was like, oh, I can, I know the band I'm going to get to. Like, I just know exactly the band I want to get, James. And so like now it's like fun and lighthearted. It's not so serious and sad or stressful. It's just a totally different vibe. And it's really liberating. Uh, you know, I, I love that. And it it just, my mind goes to an even distribution of age classes. Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, page 70 and 71. And if you look at that, he covered four different generations. And the first generation was your parents' generation. You know, they generally have all the money. And he just demonstrates how if the grandparent would skip the children and buy a policy on their grandchildren, and they would do that every generation, you would create a perpetual system for the family over more than one generation over several generations um and i know we've had the conversation but uh, i mean i think it's i think it's huge if you know you're looking at the illustrations and becoming your own banker and you go to equipment financing that's what you were referencing earlier the more they finance the greater the numbers were you know from illustration one where there was no financing done by the owner um the life insurance company managed the money and and the premium was paid four years, and then the policy paid its own premium after that. But illustration number two, they started financing, you know, a logging truck that they were already financing. They were just using associates right. finance. Um, and there's a history to that that goes even through Fort Worth, associates finance. I'll share sometime. Anyway, um, and then they, you know, then Nelson Illustrated number three, financing two trucks. Number four, you know, uh, more trucks than a tree shirt and or bulldozers. You know, and and there's a lot there, but um, if you look at illustration number one, where there's no financing, and you compare that to illustration number two, where he financed in the fifth year, it's the same policy. The only difference is what the owner did in the fifth year and beyond, what they financed, and then playing and being an honest banker, and Instead of paying the interest to associates finance, that interest was redirected to the life insurance company. So the premium was being paid after year four. Okay. But my point here is that the individual and you know, he, he could have financed a truck in year two instead of waiting to the end of year four and actually doing it in year five. 
So, but he didn't, you know, Nelson wanted to demonstrate and illustrate a fully capitalized system or the capitalization phase separated from the financing. Um, and so, now, and I like to bring that in and, and make the comparison with an even distribution of age classes, what you've actually done instead of, you know, the grandparents with that generation typically has all the money, not the grandchildren and the, and the children. But what you've done is you've, um, you don't have grandchildren yet, number one. So you're, oh, yeah. you're, you've backed up and, and, um, started an even distribution of age classes on your parents' generation, right? And then, I mean, that's very powerful to me. And, and so Nelson laid out examples and everyone was different. Every case that he went through was different. The structure was different. You know, there was, it was different. Um, which I think is important. Every policy shouldn't look alike. You know, we shouldn't get stuck on your policy should look like mine and mine should look like theirs and theirs should look like yours. Um, It should be unique um, and really tailored to what the individual is doing. And that is absolutely possible. And that is the right thing to do. Um, So you backed up, but then you've, also uh, own policies on your son. And then there's a whole insurable interest and the limitations that the industry puts on us as, you know, as far as how much insurable interest we have in different generations, how much total premium can we pay on our own lives? And that's a function of how much can be paid on other lives. So there's some, you know, uh, hoops that you got to jump through, you know, industry imposed because, you know, the government, like I said, makes everything more efficient that they get involved in. Right. And I'm not saying the government runs the well, James insurance industry. People, when James is saying that, he's being sarcastic. And I've even, <laughs> just in case you didn't catch the sarcasm, because I've even told my son, because my son's in school, and uh, in school, I told my son, like, follow the money. <clears throat> like, who pays your teacher salaries? Who pays for the school? Like, right now, he's in public school until I'm looking at some alternatives. But for now, I said, you, you there's this concept of you don't bite the hand that feeds. I was like, you're never going to hear somebody at a school criticizing the entity that pays all their salaries. And I said, so you just got to be aware that that's happening. And like Nelson said in the book, like Shakespeare, he quoted Shakespeare, all the world's a stage. And it's just actors playing different roles. If you don't know who the characters are in the play, you're going to be lost or you might just be entertained. (laughs) And so I told my son, like in school, you're going to get information that's based on, you know, government things. And we could side, we could rabbit hole, you know, what, what's going on with public schools and the teaching. I told him, I said, just, I just want you to think for yourself and question things. If you hear something and it doesn't sound right, think about it, reflect on it. Let's talk about it. You don't have to accept everything you're told at first, you know, at first glance or, you know, when they first push things across. And so it's important that you have to, you know, think for yourself. And that's one of the hardest things. You know, Nelson talks about that in the book is breaking that tidal wave, James, of doing what everybody else does. Nobody is doing this, relatively speaking, right? You're, you know, you've got your educated listeners, your audience, and then your clients. So, you, I mean, you know people that are doing it, but to do it at this level, it's very rare. And so I, as I was trying to, to be a good student and go as deep as I could, I thought, okay, what's next? So, you know, I took policies on my family. And then the, as I was getting policies, like you're an agent in Texas, but you you can practice and issue policies for people in California where I'm living. And, you know, my, I have two, I had two other agents in California and, 
you know, their understanding of the system is totally different. And I even get the supplemental, like, hey, because it's California, here's this extra form, right? Yep. What does that cost the what does that cost the insurance companies? It's not free to have to deal with like very specific and even as an employee working at various different companies, I've worked in other states besides California. And California has a ton of regulations and laws, and that's not free. Like companies have to spend time, money, and effort to deal with all those regulations and laws, you know, in exchange for, you know, almost perfect weather year round. Is <laughs> <laughs> that the exchange? Yeah, That's yeah. The no, there's some states are tougher than others for, you know, all business. California is absolutely one of them. Um, no, no question about that. And, you know, I'm, I'm uh, excited to uh, be able to practice, you know, this concept personally and professionally, but, you know, I'm an agent. And, and I'm also an investment advisor. I'm also a husband, a, you know, a father, a son, a brother, a nephew, and an uncle. Um, and generally an all-around good guy. But, you know, I am licensed to practice, <clears throat> excuse me, in all 50 states. Uh, so, and we do. We have clients from New York to California, California to Florida, Florida to Washington, and all the states in between. And um, But, you know, there's... California, it's almost like they go out of their way to make it difficult. You know, just your experience, how how much does it cost a company, any company, to do business in California? And then no wonder they're all coming to Texas. And I'm not saying Texas is the best place to live, but yeah, you know, it's one of the greatest states. It is the greatest state in the union. Um, But look, people are running from California because of the taxes, no question. And I've not been there long enough to experience a good weather. Anyway, the I want to I want to go to the even distribution of age classes again. I want to yes. I want to touch on this because it's very important. You've laid the foundation. You backed up one generation. You're, you know, practicing on your son uh, with your son. He has policies on himself. And then, you know, you mentioned it a couple of times. You've gotten to the point and and and. And I, I'm interested to know when you started thinking along those lines, or was it very early on trying to make your income equal premium, which is difficult. Nelson said it would take the average bear 20 years to do that. 20 years. And, yeah. I saw and, it was, it was thanks to you, James, because uh, when I became a client of yours, you gave me access to uh, a seminar that Nelson had done. And so I got to, I got the D you actually gave it to me as a DVD which is hilarious. You know, here we are in 2023. Nobody gets DVDs anymore. So what I did, James, because <laughs> yeah. I'm a nerd, I took that DVD and I converted it to MP4 videos and then put them on my cell phone. And as I traveled, because I traveled a lot for work, I fly 130 to 150 times a year for the type of work I do. So it's a lot of airplane time. And so I put those videos on my phone and I watched Nelson's seminar as I was flying around the country. And Nelson said, in this webinar, I think he was giving this in this particular snippet. It might have been to like a group of insurance agents and some other, you know, everyday Joe and Jane's in the audience as well. But it's because he was getting a lot of questions about universal life in the end, I remember. But at one point during the seminar, he says, you know, it take, it's going to take the average person about 20 years to have every dollar match. And, and he gave reasons for it. And the reasons are super valid. Uh, but what I found in my experience, because I, I am a high income uh, individual and I have, you know, income from multiple sources, I was like hitting the the mech limits on my policies, like within the first, you know, year, year and a half. And so like I needed more places to put this money. And so I was like, I remember in the book, 
even distribution of age classes. Oh, what about mom and dad? What about son and wife? So son and wife were, were next. Mom and dad were after that. And now I'm, I'm in the process of getting another policy on myself and having to deal with my own doctor's office as a barrier to getting my next policy, which is amazing that, you know, you never know where you're going to bump into the next bureaucracy, James, but it's, it's just around the corner. <laughs> it's just around the corner. Don't worry, but we're going to overcome that. And so it was that it was the foundation of what Nelson put and thinking about trees when it's so easy to understand because Nelson said, you know, he spent 10 years as a forester and it described the process of how you put trees into a grid system so that you can, you know, pick, prune, and harvest from at different times a year from different sections of the forest. And we kind of do the same thing where we people are like the trees that get harvested when we graduate, pick and prune as life happens to you. And I thought this is so simple and this pattern follows nature. This is a very easy to understand pattern. And if I put this in place, and teach my son and my wife, no matter what happens to me, they'll be able to do this and replicate this. So I actually have some really intentional, my son's 13. We've had some, and we've been doing, like I said, we've been doing this for five years. Some years ago, James, he even wanted to get a smartphone. And I you know, we're the type of parents who are like, yeah, you're gonna be responsible for it. So I said, you're gonna buy your phone using cash values from the policy that on you that I control. And you're going to pay that back every month with income that you're getting from allowances and a little bit of work you're doing. And he ended up paying that phone off early. And now fast forward to now we're getting new, we're getting new phones. Cause that's what you have to do in this world, James, you know, everything gets recycled and we're getting to get new phones cause they become obsolete. And so now we're getting new phones. We're doing the same thing again. And of all the phones we're turning in, his actually has the highest value. So I told my son, like your new phone is the cheapest because you got the biggest discount because you paid your phone off early and you've owned it for a long time. So congratulations, son, you saved the most money <laughs> you know, between wow. the three, among the three of us. And so he's going to get the same, he's going to get the same phone as mom and dad. So all three of us are going to have the same exact phone. And you know, he's 13 and some of his friends, have like what I would just call burner phones. Like they can only do like limited things. And, you know, for whatever reason, how, the, how their parents are doing it with their kids. That's like, this is just cool that he can learn how to, how to finance it. Cause he's still financing it through his system and he gets the benefit <clears throat> of having it. And when he paid it off, I showed him, I said, here's your, here's what your policy was forecasted to do if we had not used it. And here's what it's doing now. Like, when it started, James, the death benefit was less than a million. And now just with a little bit of usage, the death benefit's now over a million. And it's grown and it's growing and it's, it's outperforming. So I'll say like every, every policy that I've had is far outperforming all the original illustrations because of what I've done with the policies. So this episode went a little long. We're gonna end it here and pick up where we left off next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.